Yeah, so yes, happy Sangha Day 2015. And uh, my talk does have a title, Metta and the Bodhisattva Ideal. So when I first came along to uh, Tri Ratna, which was called the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order, well, that was 36 years ago, approximately, in 1979, if I got my mathematics correct. And uh, yeah, the movement was very, very young. I, I reckon it's only about 12 years old. And of course, when I went along, it seemed like it had been there forever. From, uh, but it was really, really young. Everybody was in their 20s and 30s. Uh, which is very hard to imagine now. I, I wrote, that's quite funny, really. Uh, and people really shone with their vision. I remember going along, I went along to the LBC, the London Buddhist Centre, uh, which had just opened, converted fire station from an old um, burnt-out fire station. And uh, the, the place was fantastic, really, really perfect. And everybody was wearing these clothes from sort of second-hand shops and holes in their elbows. So it was an inter- interesting, uh, yes... We were, we were definitely doing the structures before anything else. Yes, yeah, so people shone with that vision, and their vision was to change society, to change the world, to create a new world. Um, and uh, there was a lot of, actually, there was a lot of talk at that time in society anyway about that sort of radical transformation and the, the need for, for change. And there was actually a lot of optimism, I think, in, in the world. But uh, the, this group of people that I came across. Uh, in uh, these classes were the first people I felt really actually men- meant it in the sense of actually people were uh, very um, uh, yeah very inspired by by their wish to change and benefit society or do something to uh, improve it but also you could feel that they actually had a way of doing that and they meant they meant it they actually were going to do something whereas in my sort of friends my student friends we had those sort of ideas but it was rather vague it was a sort of vague, woolly optimism that we that we had. So I was I was really impressed, and I thought oh, these are some people I'd like to spend more time with. Um, yes, yeah. So I, I felt the so there was the resources of the practical tools of Buddhism were there. So there was this felt like this far-reaching vision could be could be sort of um, actualized in a way. I had a lot of a lot of faith. Yes. Yeah, there was people wanted to create a new world, I've put, and there was a lot of construction going on. I think in those days we definitely saw creating the new world in terms of creating buildings and uh, contexts. There was a lot of experimentation with ways of living, so there was a lot, a lot going on, really, lots of very practical things going on. There was a lot of energy, a lot of vibrancy in the air. So we were inspired by the Bodhisattva ideal, which was something that Sangharachita Bhante spoke about a lot. And a lot of talks at that time seemed to either begin with a Bodhisattva ideal or end with a Bodhisattva ideal, or it was in the middle. You know, it was, it was actually uh, what was there. Um, yes, yeah, so the Bodhisattva ideal, the vision of the Bodhisattva, a uh, very tender vision to... I suppose, meet suffering as they saw it, to uh, not flinch from suffering, but to sort of bring every ounce of their being to to meet that and to respond uh, creatively and skillfully and with wisdom to try to alleviate suffering even. Uh, and uh, as it was said, to alleviate the suffering of all beings. Then uh, the vision went further and it often said something like putting aside their own hope of salvation, their own hope of Buddhahood, um, putting themselves aside their wishes and their needs for the sake of others. 
So as a sort of 25-year-old, that was, you know, that was amazingly exciting. I sort of didn't really feel I had any needs and you know, it wasn't really a problem. I thought, yes, this is it. I'm going to throw myself in and uh, you know, sort of a bit like diving into the, the deep end in that very, very sort of very, very positive visionary scenario. So the spiritual path as well was seen very much in terms of becoming a bodhisattva. And that, again, that's what we talked about a lot, um, how, how, what were the, were the conditions whereby we could actually become bodhisattvas ourselves. And we would talk about ourselves as novice bodhisattvas or, or sort of trainee bodhisattvas, uh, which, was, which, was, which was lovely. And it was, in a way, it was a very strong vision around which the Sangha had a lot of energy and there was a lot of momentum. Actually, interesting sort of hearing like the like Trisha's idea of the people's kitchen. It's sort of a little bit resonant of that sort of that sort of time. We didn't actually have any people's kitchens, to be honest, in those days. Uh, but we we did struggle to make our own tea, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was personally very fired by that vision, and it awoke something very deep in my heart. Uh, it sort of resonated with a heartfelt wish, which was there to sort of to move towards to move towards suffering. And I think in a way that we all do have that somewhere within us, there's a sort of, I think a very deep natural wish. Uh, you know, when we see harm, to, to wish to alleviate it, to, to wish to, to, to help beings. Um, sometimes that, that does get covered up. And I think it can be that, I don't know, if coming across a very uh, beautiful vision can help us open up to it, open up to our natural... Um, compassion that, that I think is within all of us. Um, yeah, we, we did know in theory that in order to change the world, you have to change yourselves. Uh, that was definitely on the cards. Bandy had talked about moving from the reactive mind to the creative mind. But the thing about having a very straight, a very sort of clear, uh, inspiring teacher like Bandy was it all sounded rather easy. <laughs> Uh, you just, um, you know, practice metabhavana, practice the mindfulness of breathing. Within 15 years, you'd be a stream entrant at the very least. Uh, and uh, it, yes, it all, it all sounded very attainable and the steps were very clearly laid out, as we know from reading the Dharma. Uh, uh, it was a bit like, I was thinking, it's a bit like you've got this beautiful mountain peak that you can see and it's, it's so crystal clear in that sort of light that you, you, you think you can almost touch it, can't you? And uh, and then you begin to walk towards it, and it never seems to get any nearer. It was a bit, it was a little bit like that. Uh, and I realised a bit later on, you know, sometimes I think when you're fueled by a vision, you sort of get, almost get taken over by that vision, and it's your whole experience. You almost feel as though you've become it, you've realised it, because it is your experience, you're so inspired by it. And it's a bit like that, I guess, there's just only a certain amount of us is engaged in that, really. There's all, uh, I remember uh, you know, how it is the... People say, I don't know much about icebergs, but apparently an iceberg, there's a little bit of it above the surface of the water, but there's, you know, the vast majority of the iceberg is under the water. And, and Abantis used that as an analogy of the human psyche that in terms of the conscious mind or the, the mind that we've got any, any pretension to control over, it's very, very small. There's actually large amounts of us under the water. Uh, sort of the deep, deep water fish and the monsters are sort of swirling around, around the iceberg, and uh, it's quite, actually quite interesting and, in, in a way, yeah, attractive. And we maybe relate more though to the surface, the, uh, the bits of iceberg in, in the sunshine that we can see. So yeah, it isn't always that easy to sort of bring ourselves along behind a very beautiful, perfect vision. And there is a lot to transform. 
Um, yes. So every so often, I remember being living at Taraloka, and after a certain while, I was sort of you know in there, sort of building Taraloka for the benefit of all beings. And I got I just got a bit run down, and I thought I don't, I can't remember why people want to come on retreats. <laughs> You know, it's that side of us that actually we're just <coughs> totally not engaged, actually, with the spiritual life. There's, um, we can't really be bothered. Uh, yeah. There's a sort of... We, we all have these very sort of dark moments, don't we, when we just... We actually want what we want. Um, we don't want to be pure and beautiful and be there for the benefit of other people, particularly. We can't really be bothered, and we, we certainly want some time off. <laughs> it's all far too much. Yes, so our vision can be very, very clear to understand, but the, the actual putting it into practice and transforming ourselves in accordance with the vision is a, well, it's actually a very, very different matter entirely. Uh, yeah, sooner or later we sort of stub our toes on the, the iceberg under the surface to mix metaphors slightly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think at that point we become aware that we do need to do some solid work on ourselves. Uh, which may not be quite so straightforward as, as the model that's been set out. And, uh, yeah, we stop pretending that we're almost a Bodhisattva at that point. And maybe we step back from that vision of changing the world and think, well, I, perhaps I should be a little bit kinder to my friend here. <laughs> that's, that sort of thing. Uh, try to be aware of who we're with um, yeah, I, I remember even actually not that long ago just catching myself with quite a cruel thought about somebody. I think it was quite a, it just sort of came from nowhere. And I thought, you know, in a way, Dynand, you just don't really know yourself. There's, there's sometimes, you know, something just comes out that you, uh, you sort of don't know about yourself. There's just a lot of work of integration to be done. I've just started studying the Bodhisattva ideal uh, with my study group, my Mitra study group. We only started last week, and we heard the first lecture by Bhante on the Bodhisattva ideal. And it's this, as I say, it's a very, very beautiful, lofty ideal. And I was very, very struck by his first lecture. And what he talks about, really, is the kindness of the Buddha, uh, the kindness of the Buddha, the compassion of the Buddha, his ordinary sort of fearlessness. Um, he's not talking about cosmic acts of Bodhisattvas saving sort of millennia of coties uh, of kalpas of, you know, world systems. He talks about how the Ananda, the Buddha's attendant, thought the Buddha was kind. Um, that was his, his sort of abiding memory of the Buddha. Uh, yeah, and in, in the, 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 the sort of question and answers that are around that talk, uh, Bhante talks quite a bit then. It's in 1984, and he's talking about how we... Sometimes he's quite surprised by how unkind we are to each other in the movement. Uh, um, and I, actually, I was, I was uh, ordained two years later, and I was given the name Daya Nandi by him. And at that ordination also, he said, sometimes that was, he was surprised, even in the order, he saw people being really quite unkind or saying unkind things to each other. And I, I know that is, what, 30 years ago, but uh, and not necessarily... I think it's really not so applicable now. I think there is a lot more kindness. But even so, uh, I feel as though that's where we need to start, and... Uh, we, we, we could, it's just something that we could all, I think, think about that much more. And I certainly, being given the name Diane Andy, delighting in kindness, it has become a uh, practice um, for me. And there's something about kindness which can seem very ordinary, but actually isn't that easy to achieve, I think. It's not, it isn't that ordinary when it comes to trying to respond with kindness um, in all sorts of different situations. 
Yeah. So Bounty says in that seminar, he's saying he, he sees a lack of sympathy and fellow feeling or a lack of imagination uh, or just a simple lack of awareness of other people. And somebody says to him, why do you think that is? And he says often people are just too busy, uh, so too busy to bear in mind the, the other people around them. Uh, and he says, when it's busy, it's really busy for yourself. You're really busy for yourself. You're doing the things that you need to do uh, you, um, in some way or other, quite likely. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really, it's, I thought, well, it's probably, I think it's relevant now. It was it's salutary then and it's relevant now that uh, by and large, until we reach insight, we are self-centred by definition. We, we, we keep on coming back to ourselves. I think the Metabhavna practice is what I'm going to, if there's time, talk a bit about. But I feel as though yeah, that is a very solid way of beginning to soften that self-centeredness, which I think Art Ketu spoke about in his talk as well. And Ashi Bhanti also put it down to people not being very happy. I thought that was interesting. Maybe when we're not very happy, uh, it's harder to bear others in mind. And Actually, I haven't been that happy last week, to be honest. And I did notice I didn't have much room for other people. I, uh, it was an effort. And actually, when I did have room for other people, it made me feel better. <laughs> but then I would sink back into you know, the unhappiness. Uh, it is harder if you're weighed down by things, isn't it, to, uh, to um, I don't know, just open up and look around you and just be genuinely uh, open-minded about, about other people. The other thing I've noticed for myself is, I've thought about it quite a bit, is how I and we fix other people too. We have the ideas about how people are, expectations about their, um, what they might mean when they say something, uh, you know, those sort of, uh, what they might be wanting, whatever. And any of those expectations just um, prejudice the whole communication because we just aren't going in with an open mind, are we, to to just be present with another person, which I think, I think for me in my practice of Metabhavana, that's come to be the essence of the practice, just trying to be as present as I can with an open mind um, and trying to think, well, you know, Tom, Debbie, they actually exist and they think they're the centre of the universe like I do. For that, you know, we are actually identical human beings. We have, we completely uh, got, this, we've got everything in common. Uh, so that, so I think the, the work of the Metabhavna practice can be purely that, to sort of trying to reverse that sort of self-centred quality, self-centred, um, I was going to say essence, so I suppose it does feel like the essence is a self-centred one. Be a bit less preoccupied with ourselves. So, yeah, so I've been doing that for a long time now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah... Yeah, actually, I was going to say, that's right. I started, I undertook, uh, um, oops, I'm just losing my place here. Don't want to lose any of these really valuable gems that I came up with this morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Aha, uh-huh. yes, right. Yeah, I was going to say there's an inner, so that relates to what I've just said. There's an inner, inner metabhavna and an outer metabhavna, I think. I think we can do an awful lot out of meditation by, uh, we could just choose somebody each day who's going to be our metabhavna subject and just try to sort of just imagine that they are a human being just like us and what really is their life like and, you know, 
uh, yeah, who are they? And we could obviously do that for ourselves. So after about three years after I started practicing, I realized that I changed much more from the very difficult practice of the Metamavna I had, much more, I thought, than I did from my more pleasant coasting in the mindfulness of breathing, which I found rather quite enjoyable. But I could see that even though I had got no idea what my emotions were and uh, I had no, I was really blocked actually. It was very hard to work with myself in the Metabhavna, but I could see real change you know, happening all the time very steadily through the Metabhavna. I thought, wow, that's interesting, isn't it? And uh, so with, with my intense, I suppose I was 28 years old by then, I took on to do the Metabhavna every day for a year. And I think that, I could say that probably changed my life doing that. I, you know, I, just, took, I just did that every day as my main practice. And I think it, what it did was get under the surface of me being with myself, which I was trying to avoid, being really being with myself. And I, th- I think, again, we, maybe we do do that quite a bit. Sort of had, sometimes I imagined myself diving into my heart to see what was there and... Uh, yeah, there was there was quite a bit of not liking of myself, and I just thought about that as well. I think it took about fifteen years of the Metabhavna before I could say that I liked myself. Fifteen years, and uh, I wouldn't always. It's not as though I was going around all the time thinking, "Oh, you're an awful person, Diane, and you really hate you." But there was there was something undermining me at a deeper level all the time. I think, and that gradually eroded because of the Metabhavna practice. I'd say really, and ethical practice. I think ethical practice goes hand in hand with Metabhavna. And when I could, I suppose I began to respect myself more because of uh, being able to take other people on as really existing human beings and to you know, occasionally be able to respond with some kindness and presence with them. That self-respect was something that uh, softened that you know, lack of self-worth and actually bits of self-hatred, really. And so, yeah, I can say I don't have that anymore. And I think that's, isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful thing. And I think that's the Metabhavna. So I really, you know, I have a very, very deep faith in the Metabhavna practice and just that uh, in, uh, in meditation and out of meditation. And Bhante talks of it as a path to insight, and I'm very sure that that is the case as well. Um, I think just, just that act of uh, trying to go beyond... I think you have to practice it very, very intensely and continuously. Uh, but within the practice of the Metabhavna, I think it is possible to go beyond be, uh, the uh, limitations of self to uh, really... I suppose it's that true belief that other, other beings exist, uh, that, that the um, reality isn't bounded by the, the boundaries of your ego. Yeah. In, the living, with, in living with Kindness, Bhante talks about... Uh, that that uh, something like um, sort of he describes our experience of metta or feeling with people, just going, getting expanding, becoming bigger and bigger. So it's not as though we send out metta from ourselves, but our our metta expands with ourselves. Our, our self expands until we forget we have a self. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so it's, in a way, it's a sort of gentle path towards insight, I think. It's hard work, but I think it's gentle and it's sort of friendly. So I'd highly recommend it. And obviously the Bodhisattva, I think it, well, it's the key to the Bodhisattva path and the Bodhisattva ideal because without kindness, there is going to be no Bodhisattva. Um, and it, also in that text, I think uh, Bhante talks about his great teacher, Dada Rinpoche, 
who he spends a lot of time with in Kalimpong. And there's videos of Dada Rinpoche, actually, in Bounty. I'm not, I think, I'm not sure if there are any of them together, but there are videos of, of Dada Rinpoche talking about his life and practice. Uh, Bounty says that Dada Rinpoche, he's the only person he met. He really felt sure that Dada Rinpoche was a bodhisattva. And Dada Rinpoche said, this bodhisattva, he said that uh, we can tell our practice is working if we feel, if we can see that we are becoming kinder every day. So I think the practice is, it is in this down, these down-to-earth areas. It hasn't got to be all highfalutin, reflecting on shunyata. You know, it's, in fact, I find that quite difficult. I think that, you know, we can do a lot by confronting, you know, the, the monsters of greed, hate and delusion, the lower part of the iceberg, through the metabhavna and through just opportunities to go beyond ourselves. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much.